Your presence is heaven to me. Guys, so I want to talk about uh, what most everybody <laughs> in the world is talking about, modeling. Uh, don't worry, I'm not talking about that kind of modeling, uh, though I would be qualified. Uh, we are talking about this modeling that people talk about uh, with regard to uh, how do we uh, model for post-COVID? What, uh, what are the things that should be open? What, what are the things that should be shut? What distances should be maintained? How many should gather together? And so we keep hearing this word modeling. And so um, just as the world is doing it, uh, before the world even thinks of it, we as believers need to do it, eh? And so how do we model for a post-COVID world? Because the waters are beginning to recede and the rainbow is appearing. Because the waters are beginning to recede and the rainbow is appearing. Some, some parts of this message will not be uh, prophetic as in a prophetic word, but will be prophetic as in the foresight of God. Yeah? So how do we model for the post-COVID world as, a, as churches? Because the waters are receding and the rainbow is appearing. And modeling uh, is always based on data. Modeling is always based on data. And so um, it is basically forecasting what to expect and therefore how to prepare. Modeling is forecasting what to expect. and how to prepare for it. That's what modeling is. And it, it, it comes to these conclusions by ext extracting data. So it's based on data and it's forecasting of what to expect and therefore how to prepare. The church needs to do that. And man, if there's anyone in a, in a position to do that accurately, it is us. It is us. Our data is extracted from Genesis 8 and 9. Our data is extracted from Genesis 8 and 9, which was what Evan read. Our data is extracted from Genesis 8 and 9, and so today we look at the broad preparations churches have to make, the broad preparations churches have to make. And uh, in the weeks ahead, we'll get more specific. But today we'll deal with the broad preparations that churches have to make. Yeah? Any questions? And so most, uh, most of the time we'll be in Genesis 8 and 9. So when you look at Genesis 8.1, let's begin there. Uh, and so w what are we doing here? We are saying, look at Genesis 8 and 9. There was a time when the world was shut down. But when the waters began to recede, the rainbow appeared, and God began to plan for the future. So what does it look like? And so we base it on Genesis 8 and 9. And uh, what we are doing is saying, okay, God, so these are the things you want us as churches to pay attention to. And so we will decide now to be deliberate in paying attention to these things because you are planning for a post-COVID model. And the church, before anyone else, should be ready for it. It, it, is, it is a crying shame when the loudest voices in churchianity are talking doomsday, wealth transfer, and revival. But the loudest voices are not 
the rightest voices. So, let's look at Genesis 8.1. So, in Genesis 8.1, it talks about how God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. That's what it says in the second half of Genesis 8.1, that God sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Uh, and it is uh, kind of what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, uh, where if you read it from the message, it says that gale force winds hit the house and that the wildfire of the Spirit began to spread through their ranks. And so um, one of the things that we need to be aware of as uh, the waters of COVID recede and the rainbow begins to appear, one of the things we need to be aware of is that this is the time of the greatest activity of the Holy Spirit. And it's ironic, not ironic, it is awesome that uh, in 2019, November, December, God very clearly told us at Acts 29 that 2020 will be the year of the Holy Spirit. I mean, at that time, we had no idea. China had no idea. Nobody had an idea of what awaited. And yet around uh, October or November of 2019, God was saying, guys, 2020 for you will be the year of the Holy Spirit. So begin to know how to open yourself up to receive him like you never have before. And I want to say to you, as he has always done, eh? guys, uh, sometimes we need to look at the stories of the Bible so that we can figure out, on one hand, the patterns of God and the devices of the devil. Sometimes I hear um, preachers that I respect say, oh, we don't have to worry about the devil. We don't have to pay attention to him. Focus on Jesus Christ. That's nice, but that is not wise. Nice never means wise. We are supposed to look at stories in the Bible to figure out, aha, this situation has happened before, because like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. When you look at stories in the Bible, you begin to see how God is going to respond, and you also see the devices of the devil, because the devil is no creator. He's very limited. He's He's finite. He can only have so many tricks in his bags that he keeps repeating. It's just packaging. And then you look at how God moves in situations like this and you realize that in our present predicament, which has happened many times in the past, how does God move? And you always find him moving upon the face of the waters. Eh? You always find him moving upon the face of the waters. It talks about that in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. He moved upon the face of the waters. In uh, John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said, Hey, come to me, and I will give you waters of living water, um, um, oodles of living water, so that it can pour through you. And then in John 20, verse 21 and 22, Jesus turns to his disciples after he rises from the dead and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to tie together these three um, because. We need to understand that um, Acts 29, for sure, before all this happened, it was told us that this is the year of the Holy Spirit. As the wind begins to blow over the earth again, the waters will recede, and we will begin to see the activity of the Spirit in our lives and through our lives like we have never seen before. I look forward to December sometimes when 
stuff like this is spoken, to look back and see, did it really happen? So every morning, like I've said in past teachings, open your arms wide and say to God, I receive your spirit. I receive your spirit this morning. Let what Jesus said in John 7, 37 come to pass where he, he bursts through us because he's moving over the waters, man. You know, it's, uh, it's this idea of running with the wind of the spirit. Zechariah 6, 8 talks about these uh, four winds uh, symbolized by chariots being pulled. And there is this one chariot that is pulled by black horses that begins to head towards the north. And you hear God saying, see, the wind of my spirit that is headed towards the north has given rest to my spirit in the north. There is this idea of moving with the spirit post-COVID. Guys, this is when the church has always been meant to arise. This is Isaiah 60. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah is saying it to the rest of the world. Great darkness covers the earth, but greater is the glory of God. Through whom? Who carries the glory of God now? I don't know how far this message will reach, but I'm telling you, man, these messages are going forth. I got this picture of horses running, eh? And uh, it's a very simple uh, picture. But you can see as one horse begins to turn, the rest of them begin to turn. Is it on screen? This picture of horses? Oh, don't worry about it if it's not. <laughs> Josh is eating far away today. I can hear spoons and forks and Coke cans opening, but he's eating far enough. So you can't really hear him. Is it Josh or is it me? It's Josh, right? Yeah. Yeah, Josh, could you come here for a second? Uh, <laughs> I just want to show you. Guys, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know whether we planned it or not. I don't remember. But everyone seems to be wearing a Canuck jersey around here. So this is Josh. I can smell the food off you. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 that, I have that picture on my phone, and every time I look at it, I think of... Spirit of God, every time you begin to turn, an entire group of people must begin to shift. And if you, uh, I mean, there's that Newsboys song. I don't know if you've heard of that famous group. It's one of Jane's favorite groups. And so when you veer left, they veer left. When you veer right, you veer right. And so there's a sense of doing exactly that, eh? Okay. That's the first thing that we'll need to pay attention for. How do we model based on data how do we forecast what to expect and how do we prepare for it? One of the first things is this will be a time of unprecedented spirit activity. The second thing is, guys, um, in Genesis 8-9, and this is really bothersome, eh? Genesis 8-9, Noah sends out a raven and a dove in order to determine the conditions on earth. Genesis 8 verse 9, Noah sends out a raven and then a dove in order to determine the conditions on earth. And he sends them out a few times. Uh, and why is it that a man who received directions from God regarding the corruption of the earth, regarding the building of the ark, regarding the impending storm, regarding how, what kind of animals to bring into the ark, why is it that the same man who received directions from God regarding 
everything is now resorting to birds to figure out when it is time to step on the earth. Moses fell into the same trap in Deuteronomy 1.22. We often think that the spies were God's idea. The 12 spies that were sent out were God's idea. The 12 spies were a result of Moses listening to the demand of the people who wanted to make sure that before they stepped into the promised land that uh, we better check it out and have observable data to verify that it's a good idea to go into the promised land. And one of the things I felt God saying to us as a church with uh, regard to Genesis 8-9 is, thus far you have walked listening to me, but know that you need to develop not herd immunity, but immunity from the herd. They talk about herd immunity. You have to develop something called immunity from the herd. Where post-COVID, you'll find that there'll be increased demands on how to um, figure out life. There'll be uh, ways of um, um, quick fixes that'll launch life again. There'll be new fears There'll be new rumors. There'll be worldly counsel and advice as to how you should go about your work, how you should go about church, what is good, what is popular, what is successful, what is safe, what is unsafe. And I'd say to you, live by the proceeding word. I, you know, what happened to Elijah should not happen to us. Here's what happened to Elijah. Elijah had a massive victory on Mount Carmel, and then he let his guard down. And Jezebel scared him so much that this great prophet resigned from life and was raptured, in a sense of speaking. It is during times like this that we realize that, huh, this is just fire falling from heaven to set a fire, set a flame, the sacrifice. But now that it is done, we prepare to bring back apostate, apostate Israel back to true religion. Fighting this virus in the name of Christ and in the protection of Christ is one thing. Now preparing a world that has been undone is also the work of the church. We are reformers, guys. We are reformers. It's, it's a bad idea to revive what is not reformed. I've said this before. To reform is to put back in place as God had meant things to be. When you revive without reforming, what happens is that which hasn't been fixed now gets revived. I mean, let's assume someone br broke a hand, and so you go to the doctor, and the doctor fixes the hand this way. And now you can revive this hand, but this hand will revive this way when it's supposed to be here. Reforming is what is required before reviving. And so let's keep operating by the proceeding word, eh? Why do you keep talking about the proceeding word, Jacob? Because that's what Jesus said he does. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by what the herd tells them to live as. Man shall not live by formulas. Man shall not live by the demands that um, the world, mammon, the business world, the banks, uh, and rules are making on them. Man shall live by the word that comes out from the mouth of God. We follow rules, but we know that there is someone else who directs our lives, eh? 
especially as a body of Christ, it is required of us during times like this to begin to rise up because the earth needs the church to be the voice and the hands and the feet of God more now than ever. An exhausted people, a weary people are easily taken out. It's the stragglers that are taken out when a herd gets weary. This message is not just for Acts 29, eh? You know, it's odd, huh? Here's the thing, guys. When, 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 when teachings like this are spoken, two or three things happen. One, Acts 29 benefits. Two, other churches that by some way or the other are connected with people um, uh, that um, we know in different parts of the world are affected. But three, God never does anything before he announces it. And this is one way that it hits the airwaves. That the God of the universe is about to do something. Let it now be heard. There's a clarion call that must go out. And once it goes out, heaven's intents are established on earth because the voice of heaven must first be heard. This is how it works. And so when you hear this, this must become part of you so that you can voice it. Because out of your heart, your mouth will speak, eh? Any wisdom that comes out of your mouth must be wisdom that has sunk into your heart. So these are teachings that are meant to be spread through you by the Spirit. So when people ask you, so what's your church doing um, uh, during COVID? You should say the waters are beginning to recede. The rainbow has come out. And we are beginning to model what to expect and how to prepare. Remember, you're a majority of one. These are broad strokes. In the weeks ahead, we'll get more specific. The third thing, and like I said, we're extracting everything out of Genesis 8 and 9. The third thing, in, extra, in Genesis 8.20, Genesis 8.20, the first thing Noah does is to engage in worship, and he builds an altar. And this is the first reference to an altar in the Old Testament. The first reference to worship was in Genesis 4, where Seth uh, um, begins to worship. But the first reference to an altar is in Genesis um, 8, verse 20, where the first thing Noah does once he uh, emerges from the uh, ark is he begins to engage in worship, and he builds an altar to Yahweh. And the centrality of worship at the end of the day, whether you look at Noah or whether you look at Abraham and Isaac, is... Not instruments, not singers, but an altar and the treasure of someone's heart on it. That is the beauty of worship, eh? It's not singers, it's not instruments. Because it was never meant to be a musical term to begin with. But it is an altar with the treasure of someone's heart laid on it. And so in Abraham's case, it was the treasure of his heart, Isaac, that lay on it. In the Father's case, it was the treasure of Jesus Christ, his son, that was laid on the altar. And so one of the things I have to ask myself, and you read about that in Genesis 22, verse 3 to 10, uh, with regard to Abraham. But one of the things I have to ask myself every time I, I lead worship is, hey, Jacob, what are you laying on this altar today? What are you laying on this altar today? And I want to lay my heart, my emotions, my body, my spirit, my entire being. Worship that does not engage my entire being. And it doesn't have to be musical then. 
Oddly enough, um, in uh, Genesis 8.21, uh, most uh, versions just say, um, a pleasant aroma rose to the Lord. But if you actually look at the word, it's, the, it's a word that has the same root as Noah's name. Um, I'll just pronounce it for you. It's nikoach, and it means rest-inducing aroma. Rest-inducing aroma. When Noah offers, and Noah's name, by, by the way, means rest. When Noah offers the sacrifice to God, it's, uh, the actual sense of the word is it brought before God a rest-inducing aroma. And so part of, I mean, if you took away singers and instruments, then what does worship look like? Worship in, uh, in Jewish understanding forever has been prayers, offerings, and music. Prayers, offerings, and music. Brought to God with an attitude of obedience. Brought to God with an attitude of obedience. Whatever you say, oh God, you want my son Isaac. Well, you gave him to me. And therefore, I'm quite sure that as I lay him on the altar, that you have the power to raise him from the dead. What do you want, O oh God? I'll build you an altar, but I ain't going to build no free altars. And so I say to you, Ornan, that you may be giving me this land, but I'm not going to take it free. I'm going to pay a price for it. I will not offer to God anything that does not cost me. What shall I give you, O oh God? You never craved for sacrifices and offerings. You wanted someone to lay down his life. Well, here I am with my body. I shall lay down my life and it shall be an offering that shall restore mankind back to you. This is why Samuel says to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Church, May the next eight months prove such marvelous obedience, such willing obedience from us, eh? Such willing obedience. I pray for you. I pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I can begin with Acts 29, Father, and may it ripple across the earth. But I pray, Abba, that as you look at this small church, that you will find servants that are obedient, sons that are obedient, Sons and servants that are obedient. That'll be our worship, our sacrifice upon this altar that we built to you. The treasure of our heart will be the will that we have offered. Our will no longer ours but yours. The same statement made in Gethsemane. Give us, Holy Spirit, the audacity and then the ability to say with Christ that not our will but your will be done. Because you've got such a desire for the earth right now. Such a desire for the earth right now. 